New York State recently signed into law the Stop Hacks and Improve Electronic Data Security Act, which goes into effect on October 23rd. So what do healthcare sector entities need to know about complying with the SHIELD Act, which amends the state's existing data breach notification law by expanding the definition of private information and by adding data breach security protection requirements similar to those of the HIPAA security rule? I'm Marianne Kolbzak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group, and today I'm speaking with John Moore, Senior Vice President and Chief Risk Officer at security, privacy, and compliance consulting firm Clearwater. So, John, how does the New York SHIELD Act compare with what HIPAA requires in terms of protecting health data? For instance, how does health data, personal information that's covered under the New York SHIELD Act compare with protected health information under HIPAA? And are there more potential types of health data that must be protected? What's really interesting about the the SHIELD Act is that it does not include healthcare information, and nevertheless, it's something that healthcare organizations need to be aware of. And the reason for that is it includes this concept of private information, and private information is personal information, so information that we could use to identify a particular individual in conjunction with other defined identifiers such as social security numbers, driver's license IDs, credit card information, bio-identifiers, you know, like uh, iris scans and fingerprints, and also any sort of online credentials. So, for example, if I'm a healthcare provider that has a patient portal and I have a compromise of that portal which would reveal login information, passwords, and usernames, that would be included under private information under the SHIELD Act. That being said, um, while healthcare information is excluded from the SHIELD Act, if you do have a breach of healthcare information, even if it doesn't include what by definition is private information under the Act, there still is a reporting requirement associated with that to the Attorney General of New York. And I should be clear on that if it involves information of a New York resident. And that's one of the limitations of this is that it's only applicable to information on New York residents, regardless of the location of the organization, though, who has the breach. So, John, with that said, what about breach notification? How does the SHIELD Act compare with what HIPAA-covered entities and BAs are required to do if there's a breach? So if if you have personal information, which is that identifier information, in conjunction with that specific private information I I talked about before, the Social Security number, driver's license ID, etc., that information specifically is covered by the SHIELD Act, which is similar to HIPAA. If a covered entity just has a breach of personal identifiers, names, and that kind of thing, that doesn't fall under HIPAA unless it's associated with health care treatment information or payment information. So it's a similar concept in as much as you need the combination of the personal identifiers with some other specific subset of information. But from a reporting perspective, there is three specific scenarios which might unfold that would require reporting by a covered entity or business associate. And, and let me, let's set aside the 
business associate because that's sort of a unique topic in and of itself. But let's say an organization that is in the healthcare industry that also has information that would fall under the private information category under the SHIELD Act. So there's this first scenario where there would be a breach of private information as defined by the SHIELD Act that doesn't include healthcare information. And again, I'm limiting this to information associated with New York residents. In that scenario where it's private information on New York residents and no healthcare information, there would still be an obligation to report to the New York authorities. So you need to notify the individuals, much like you would do uh, under HIPAA, but then you need to notify the Attorney General of New York, the Department of State of New York, the state police, and if it's over 5,000 individuals impacted by it, also the consumer reporting bureaus. So that's in the scenario where you would just have a breach of private information, not healthcare information. In scenario two, you would have a breach of information that would include private information as well as healthcare information. And in that scenario, if, it's, if an organization would be required to report under HIPAA, then the individual notice given under HIPAA is sufficient and there's no need to give another notice uh, under the SHIELD Act. Uh, but in addition to the individual notices and the notice to OCR for the Office for Civil Rights, you would need to notify the Attorney General of New York, the Department of State in New York, and the Office of Information Technology. And again, if it's over 5,000 individuals impacted, 5,000 New York residents impacted, you would need to notify the consumer reporting agency. So the third scenario, and this is, I think, a really interesting one, is that if it's healthcare information only and not private information, so you're in a situation where there's been a breach of healthcare and protected healthcare information that doesn't include private information as defined in the SHIELD Act, but does include information on New York residents, you're required to report to the Attorney General of New York that breach within five days of your report to the Office for Civil Rights. So even though, and I think this is one of the more interesting things, even though that healthcare information was not included in the list of private information, there is this sort of little reporting requirement there that even if it's not private information that was disclosed, if it was only healthcare information uh, that's reportable under HIPAA, you still are required to report to the New York Attorney General. Uh, so that, that's the reporting requirements. And there's two parts to this act. The first is that reporting requirement, so notifications that need to be given in the event of a breach. But there's also, uh, similar to the, the HIPAA security rule, there's security requirements that are now required of organizations that have private information as defined under the act as well. And those security requirements are similar to HIPAA. It's things like risk analysis and having administrative and physical and technical controls in place sufficient to protect the, the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of the data and other things that would be sort of baseline best practices for security. However, if you're a covered entity or business associate who is in compliance with HIPAA, and in particular the HIPAA security rule, then you, by definition, meet the security requirements under this act. So when it comes to notifying New York State residents, what happens if an entity is taking care of a patient and then that patient moves to New York and then a couple of years later there's a breach and that you know, former patient's data is involved. How would an entity even know that that patient might have moved to New York and would they need to notify that patient? 
Well, that's a really difficult question to answer, and I don't know that that, that answer is certainly with, contained within the act itself. And uh, I think it would be perhaps difficult to enforce a requirement that requires an organization to track on an ongoing basis the physical address of former patients and or customers. So it would be my guess, and this is certainly not a legal opinion, that you not, do not have that obligation to continue to maintain a current address on anyone you ever treated. But, you know, who knows? We may be headed to a world where that is the case, but that would not be my interpretation, certainly based on what I've seen so far. If you have someone moved to New York and they've, and they've let you know that they've moved to New York, then, you know, then I think you have an obligation, regardless of where you originally treated them, perhaps. So, John, based on the SHIELD Act security requirements, the breach notification requirements, what steps should healthcare CISOs and privacy officers take in order to ensure that their entities do indeed comply with what is expected under the new New York state law? First of all, if you're in compliance with the HIPAA security rule, I think you're, you should be pretty comfortable that you're meeting the security requirements by definition. I think, you know, it'd be my recommendation that you examine the extent of your risk analysis to understand whether or not you're not just covered those systems that are used to create, receive, maintain, or transmit electronically protected health information, but also those systems that might not have been in scope under a HIPAA risk analysis, but do contain private information that you would be required to report on if there was a breach under the SHIELD Act. That would be one thing that I would recommend. Certainly from a policy and procedures associated with a breach, I think it's important that organizations are aware of these requirements. And if they are subject to these requirements that they have within their procedures and that they've tested their procedures. They include making an appropriate notification to New York residents. Those are the two things that I would recommend that an organization do first. And I, if I could, I'd like to back up just a second because I, I set that business associate issue to the side and I wanted to return to that before I forget. The SHIELD Act applies to organizations that have who own or lease private information of New York residents. So uh, the organization has to either lease or own it. However, if they've given that information to a third party for purposes of processing, so a scenario like you see in healthcare where an organization, for example, transmits EPHI to a business associate for purposes of some business process, if, if the in that scenario, the business processor, the business associate, as a breach of that information, they're required to report back to the owner or leasee of that information for whom they're providing the service. So it's, it's very similar sort of to HIPAA. They're not obligated to make the notifications themselves, but simply to report back to the, to the original owner or, or leaser, lessor of the data. And John, what are the potential consequences for noncompliance to the SHIELD Act? When does enforcement kick in? Again, there's two different pieces to this. There's the reporting requirement, right? The notification and reporting requirements associated with a breach. And then there's the security control rules that, that are in effect as well. So the first piece of it, the reporting and notification piece we discussed, that comes into effect on October 23rd. 
If you are found in violation of those reporting requirements, you can receive a fine of up to $250,000. The second piece, the security controls, and again, I think it's important to point out that under the Act, if you're in compliance with the HIPAA requirements, and in particular the security rule, uh, you're deemed to be in compliance with these security requirements. But nevertheless, those security control requirements come into effect on March 21st. And uh, if you're found in violation of those, you can have a fine of up to $5,000 per violation. And so, John, how does the New York Shield Act compare with the California Consumer Privacy Act? What's potentially tougher to comply with in terms of protecting health data and just personal information in general? That's a bit of a difficult question. And I would say it's easier to comply with the New York Act. And, And the main reason why I'm saying that is because it's not even clear yet what the California requirements are going to be. It's still very much in flux. And and so I am reluctant to even predict. We have a a number of customers right now who we're trying to help, in particular with the California legislation. And it's a challenge right now because it's not clear how that's going to shake out. The legislation itself is not as clear, I believe, as what is what's asked for here in New York. But both of these, along with you know a number of other state actions recently in this space, is making it extremely complex for organizations to manage compliance, particularly organizations who either you know are treating or delivering services across a number of jurisdictions. It's becoming you know, more and more challenging each day, which is driving a lot of the discussions on the national level as to as to how best to address concerns about privacy and protecting personal information in the United States. And finally, John, as far as you can tell, what about GDPR? Are there any similarities between the SHIELD Act and the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation? There's certainly similarities, and and they come from sort of the general privacy principles. Most privacy laws come from this, this, the notion of requiring consent and uh, getting authorization for use of information and and protecting the information and providing notifications. However, and you see that in, in HIPAA. In the SHIELD Act, there's not the requirements around getting consent and some of the other more common things that you see in a GDPR or or a a HIPAA or a lot of the privacy legislation you have out there. But part of that is because we have a very different view of personal information within the United States than they do in other jurisdictions in particular. In Europe, in, in other jurisdictions, one's information is seen to belong to the individual and remain the property of the individual. And in the United States, we've always had the perspective that if I collect your information, at least legitimately collect it, so you provide it to me voluntarily, then I own that information. And to a certain extent, I can do with that information what I wish. Uh, now, there are some restrictions on that, and, and HIPAA is one of those that provides some limitations on how an organization can use my information without my consent. But nevertheless, in the U.S., the position has always been that if an organization collects your personal information voluntarily from you, it is then theirs for their use. So it's, it's a very different perspective driving the legislation here in the United States than you see 
in other jurisdictions in particular, for example, in Europe with GDPR. So again, it adds complexity for organizations that are trying to do business or with and or across multiple jurisdictions and, and making it tough for folks to be in compliance with all of these different requirements. Thanks, John. I've been speaking to John Moore of Clearwater. I'm Marianne Kobasak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.